Something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear All right, everybody. Welcome on back to the Founding Politics. I'm Mr. Eastman. And I am Mr. King. And basically what we're going to talk about uh, really quick before we get started is, uh, you know, just check out those websites we keep talking about. Yeah, Uh, MrEastman.com. Uh, kingofhistory.com it's 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 all good there's there's stuff on there that you can use yeah. whatever you want and obviously go ahead and go check out our social media pages out on twitter instagram and whatever etc et yeah right Anywho, so t- yeah today we're going to talk about andrew jackson the election of 1828 and some other things that he does that probably aren't so great right so yeah Anywho, uh, so if you recall the two episodes ago, we talked yeah, about... I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have John Quincy Adams takes the oath of office in what's called that corrupt bargain. And the minute he takes that oath of office, Andrew Jackson starts scheming. his Oh, he is scheming. Uh, and he immediately takes his opportunity to like set up the election of 1828. Um, yeah. And it's because he felt he had the election of 1824 stolen from him by Washington elites. Uh, I mean, sort of, kind of. I mean, it, he's not completely wrong. Yeah, so when the real election season began, he was ready. Oh, buddy. And oh, yeah. Andrew Jackson, throughout his presidency, he was a glove dropper, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I again, he'd be facing off against John Quincy Adams. Right. This I, time, and this time, it was it, payback. It's payback, yeah. Oh, this is payback. yeah. Uh, and much like any election, the mudslinging was vicious. Uh, and this time the target wasn't necessarily the candidate, but the candidate's wife. Yeah, I mean, aim for the heart, right? Right. Rachel Jackson, Andrew Jackson's wife, had been married once before, and they believed it. So it was kind of like the rumor or like the conspiracy theory that like his wife, and I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, it's probably real, but who knows. They was believed that the divorce was final, uh, wasn't final, like when they got married, she was already divorced, but it turns out she might not have actually like been fully divorced, divorced yeah. when she got married to Andrew. Yeah. Um, more like, more like she was actually just separated from her previous husband. Right. Like the divorce not wasn't fully finalized. Right. Um, so the campaign, Andrew, I'm sorry, the Adams campaign turned this into a scandal to question the integrity of Jackson and his bride. Um, she was called an adulteress and dragged through the press. I mean, very much like the scarlet letter. 1000%. And there were, it just, it was their morals were called into question. Right. I mean, you have to remember a lot of people were very religious back then. I mean, still mm-hmm. today, but especially back then, uh, you know, adultery is a very serious crime, especially with, well, not a crime, but like an offense in yeah. the Christian and other religious uh, communities, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jackson's military career had also been called into question, primarily his execution of deserters, massacring of Native American villages, and his habit for dueling. Yeah. So this is a wild stat. The, the, I mean, it was just so well known that he liked to duel, but we don't know the official number that I think I read a stat that like, yeah, he loved dueling. Uh, sources say he participated in between five and a hundred duels. Like, that is a hell of a spread. A lot of room for error. And that also is, that he, if it's, imagine it's a hundred, didn't lose. Right. Because he isn't dead, you know? So, or you know for what? the most part. But I'm going to steal. Like, so I was going to put this in 
Hold on, let me see if I can. You're not going to steal anything. You're going to borrow. No, I mean I was going to steal it from the end um, of the episode. No, okay. So, uh, okay, so yeah, we we're going to obviously recap and say that he duels with. But like, long story short, there was like one of the duels that he was in. The dude got shot near the heart, covered up the bullet hole, and then just fired at the guy. Missed, cocked again, fired, and killed the dude. Like, I mean, that's very Andrew Jackson. Right, and he carried that bullet with him for the rest of his Forever. life. Forever, yeah. Yeah, he uh, carried some presidents. Bullets. Some presidents had served their campaigns with bullets in them, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, Jackson was not shy of that. Uh, no, the Adams campaign also talked about Jackson's lack of self-control. This was also an interesting one. They yeah. played on the fact that he was known to have issues with rage. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he would get so mad and angry that it would turn into a white hot rage that would sometimes be – he would basically not be able to speak. He would just be like – Yeah, he – so like, like – Basically it was, like cartoon ranting. Uh-huh. It was like one of those that it was so bad that like – I mean he was known for it when he was younger. As he got older – and worn down obviously like he probably it probably toned down his rage sure. and he like learned some self-control but i think there was one point he was a senator for tennessee and he was so mad that like the whole part that he was unable to talk that he was so mad ranting on the floor of the senate that he was just rendered unable to speak <laughs> like that's just how hot rage white hot rage he got um but so here's the crazy part. Jackson would turn campaign on his opposition to Adams and the fact that he was a man of the people. John Quincy Adams himself just was not a campaigner. He was like, I'm not campaigning. I felt my, feel my work should speak for itself. And, and I think you had mentioned, is, right. I, well, sorry to interrupt, but like, I feel huh. like, I think you said last time, like John Quincy Adams was too smart for his own good. Right. He just didn't like the idea of campaigning. So he had, obviously people did it for him because people wanted to see him win because they had a vested right. interest in it. Yeah, so people well, he was like for him. He was like, the people know what they want. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yikes. And any campaigning he did was he was supporting specific issues and not like, you know, he wasn't campaigning like, vote for me. It was like, hey, we need internal improvements. We need more roads. We need like road a road system and like observatory so we can study the skies. Like we need things like that. So yeah. he campaigned on those ideas instead of like saying vote for me. Yeah, and this was actually the first election that non-property owning white men could vote, so impoverished mm-hmm. white men. Uh, now, this was big because <clears throat> a lot of those uh, types of people actually supported Andrew Jackson uh, because, again, well, he was like the champion of common men. You know, So right. when Andrew Jackson uh, wins the election in an electoral landslide, it is seen as a victory for the common man, like basically what I said. So old Hickory Jackson yeah. uh, was a, type, a different type of candidate. Yeah, all the others before him were those wealthy candidates from the East Coast. And he was a simple man from Tennessee that he was like a, that quote-unquote self-made man. Yeah, like American dream dude, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and yeah, after the election in December, Rachel Jackson suddenly dies of a heart attack. Right. And Jackson blamed it on his political enemies, saying that like this whole stress of the campaign and the fact that like she personally was dragged through the press and like newspapers and pamphlets and whatnot, you know, that, that takes a toll on on a person. Yeah. I mean, again, um, no matter if you like the president, if you don't like the president, if you take a look at the before and after shots of their pictures, down. they look tired yeah sure right and i can only imagine the same goes for the first ladies right and in a case like this all this this happens before he's even in the white house like right he's not president she's dragged through the press and then she dies 
Well, for like they basically like, hey, by the way, you won, and she dies. Like it was like so fast, um, and so she was buried in Jackson's home called the Hermitage in Tennessee. Uh, they buried her in the dress she was supposed to wear to that inauguration. And at the funeral, Jackson was quoted as saying, may God almighty forgive her murderers. I never can. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a tough guy, Andrew Jackson. Uh, So he came into the white house with that chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, yeah. And I feel, I feel like if you look at some of the things that we're going to talk about, it almost seems like he took out his uh, aggravation and rage on other groups of people. But right. uh, when Jackson was inaugurated or, or you know, written in as president, uh, so many people showed up to the White House to congratulate the man. They literally took over the place. There was a party yes. at the White House. Yeah, I mean, so even now, like, you know, in 20, you know, 2016, there are parties. There's going to be in 2020, maybe. We'll see. Who knows? Um, but every time a president wins, even if it's a re-election, there are always parties, there are always like celebrations, and this is no different. Um, but this time, because it was he was like that the victor for the common man, uh literally common sh- people showed up. Literally, everyone showed up. Muddy boots trampled all over the carpets, the glasses and plates were smashed. In fact, the crowd got so rowdy and boozed up that he had to sneak out of the White House to get away for his safety. It was um, like a high school rager. Right, and like Project X. Like he right. literally had to have the party moved outside. Like they literally took all the punch bowls and threw them out on the on the lawn. And then thankfully the crowd was able to like follow, and that way the the White House was able to be saved. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget uh, the White House had previously been burnt down in some parts, so <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were like, "Get them outside now!" You know, like yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're not doing this. Go to your room, Jackson. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so let's. You know, he's president. So let's talk right. about what he does as president. Yeah, and he comes into the presidency as a war hero and someone who's like, who has already taken the fight to Native Americans. Right, Um, and uh, we also talked about last time how we're extending our territory, we're trying mm -hmm. to get more land, and at the same time we're fighting, obviously, Native Americans on that land. Uh, land. So instead of relying on Washington elites or party uh, leaders, Jackson picked friends and supporters for his cabinet. So basically people that he knew the best. Mm -hmm. Um, He also had what it was called as the kitchen cabinet. Uh, which were his unofficial advisors. Yeah, so like he had his cabinet, which was official advisors, official, like everything done by the letter of like precedence. Uh, and then he had like his other friends that's, that like were all like helped get him into the White House that served as kitchen cabinet. Now, some of these people were like secretaries of state, vice president, et cetera. But some of them were just like guys that showed up people. that he liked. Yeah. Yeah, supporters. I mean, he liked. Yeah. Um, and he was big on this, the whole idea of using friends and supporters instead of people that truly deserve a job and like, you know, are like that meritocracy. He was like, he was a big man of the spoil system where it's like, yeah, you know, which is literally what it's called, the spoil system. This is something yeah. that's very important to know about Andrew Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, the spoil system. So again, he's spoiling people for their support in, mm-hmm. in exchange for basically very good jobs. Like you get me into office and I will get you a job. Right. And yeah, I mean, some people obviously didn't like that, uh, mm-hmm. but Andrew Jackson was a big fan of. Right. And uh, he felt, and it was a lot of, because he felt too many career politicians lost touch with the public. Something huh. that I mean, is still like a, uh, yeah, he felt he, there needed to be some type of rotation or refreshing of government, which I don't know about you, Mr. King. I feel like that sounds hella familiar. Yeah. I mean, uh, this, however, would not in fact work. Instead, it leads more to more corruption. Oh, yeah, yeah, because with great power comes great responsibility, right? Uh, great great responsibility, trailer trounce. Yeah, red trailer trounce, right. Now, this, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people get a taste of power and they literally run with 
it. And one of those people oh, yeah. would be Andrew Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, but let's talk about some shenanigans that goes off almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, so in 1828, before Jackson was actually in office, Congress passed something called the Tariff of Abominations. Now, right. I don't know about you. Uh, and taking subtle hints, but that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. It was a protective tariff that angered the southern states because they felt it would only protect those in the north. Really, at the end of the day, what it did is it increased the cost of British textiles. Which a lot of southern farmers relied on British-made mm -hmm. goods because they were cheaper to help them produce food and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, they were using southern cotton to make those textiles. Right. You know, like that was, we were producing most of the world's cotton. So they were using Southern cotton and then like they were shipping it off to Britain. And then by making those British textiles more expensive, it's like, bro, this is like, they it inadvertently it impacts, right. It, it inadvertently impacts the Southern uh, cotton plantations. Right. So it made things more expensive for American buyers because then like they had to pay for what then was like the cheaper American goods, which were already more expensive than the original British. Right. And uh, Jackson's vice president, John C. Calhoun was looked at by many Southerners to weigh in on the tariff and come up with a solution. Yeah. Cause you know, he's a South Carolina boy. That's right. Uh, his choice was a very controversial one. Oh yeah. It's very, actually very interesting. Well, uh, I guess side note, uh, Andrew Jackson was a big proponent of a reducing federal power. Yes. Uh, when he, you know, prior to his election, and yeah. as you, uh, we'll we'll go over it. But through his uh, presidency, you'll you'll notice that he does basically the opposite. He actually increases mm -hmm. federal power oh, in yeah. a lot of situations, or just straight up ignores other branches of government. So executive yeah. power, really. Yeah, because his his thing, and he was like one of the guys that that he was big on. He wanted to keep the federal government together. He wanted to keep the union together, or at least what he claims. The way he goes about it is wild, but I mean, yeah, it actually causes it, a lot of division. Exactly. He he wanted to keep the union together, but like instead of like making things better, he made things ten times worse. So something interesting that John C. Calhoun, as vice president, does is bring about the idea of nullification, which for, is a like, super to nullify. Important. Yeah. Yeah. So nullify basically means to like cancel out or ignore or something, you know, something along those lines. So he said that the federal government only exists at the will of the states. Mm -hmm. Because of this, if a state found a federal law to be unconstitutional and or detrimental to the state, it could nullify the law or cancel it out within its borders. So basically just ignore a federal law. As you right. know, that's not really the case. But this is what the vice president of the United States says is okay. Yeah, I mean, when you have someone like the vice president vouching for the the ignoring and nullification of federal law, that's going to bring some division. Right, and in 1832, Henry Clay, there he is again, right, mm -hmm. helped push through a new tariff that would lower the rates of the tariff, abom tariff of abomination, uh, but it, it was still seen as too high for the South. Right, so he tried so, to help. And South Carolina enters the chat. Right. So how are we going to handle it here down in, in South Carolina, low country? How are we going to do it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so, let's, so they passed what's called the ordinance, South Carolina ordinance, the ordinance of nullification. Now, a side note, in, I don't know, I don't remember putting a big emphasis on this in New York, but obviously being in South Carolina, there is a large emphasis on the curriculum uh, of the South the Carolina ordinance, ordinance of nullification. Of yeah, I mean, we are not... South Carolina is not shy to uh, put on the gloves, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so like you said, there's a South Carolina ordinance of nullification. So if you're a South Carolinian student listening, definitely uh, take note of this. Yeah. This was passed and in South Carolina. Uh, and as far as South Carolina was concerned, 
there's no tariff. They're just yeah. not going to listen to it. Yeah, they're like, hey, um, no. <laughs> hey, have you tried no? Yeah. Two scoops and no? Right. Loosens you right up. Uh, <laughs> Jackson felt that this was serious enough for him to request federal troops to go into South Carolina and enforce the federal laws that were being challenged by nullification. Which I find rather interesting because you see mm-hmm. his vice president going out there saying, just ignore it. And then a, a state's like, oh, okay, we'll just ignore it. And then and the then president goes, get the army. It? <laughs> the army is coming. And they're just like, yeah. we're just doing what your, like, your bro said that we could do. He's not my bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not your guy, pal. You know, yeah. like, so Henry Clay would eventually ri- or, uh, revise the bill to be more of a compromise. Again, yeah. Henry Clay, the great compromiser. Uh, and eventually the federal troops were not needed, but this was very close to uh, really essentially the Civil War. This right. is we're, – we're baking. We're baking it in the oven low. It's coming to a simmer right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to get those nooks Things and crannies getting, in there. Things yeah. are getting a little steamy. So, right. So at this time, that that's kind of where a lot of this uh, – idea of secession comes into play yeah because uh, i mean idea. even at this point massachusetts had thrown want. around the idea of secession with a couple of things so there were states that were already thinking of seceding so south carolina went ahead and basically said, we're, not, we're just not going to listen and like, i feel like it's good to give a little context to why so like right now we think ourselves as the united states of america it's one we have the federal government then all of the other government the state governments you know right. at this point it go went, it still went state governments were like your primary like that was like your first stop before you went to the federal government. Like right. state governments still had, a, even though under the constitution, it's a stronger federal government, the people were still, it was like a cultural ingrained that state governments had more like cachet, had, had more like, yeah, they had more power than the federal government. The, the whole idea was that the federal government could not and would not exist without us. So, yeah. you know, you can, you got to treat us a certain way because you need us. Right, you need so us more than we need you. Idea kind of where they're like secession because they're like, well, you're not listening to us. Right. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the conversation about why they were mad and what mm-hmm. was going on, and even the way in which the cotton was produced, as we know, slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of people would argue it doesn't matter because it involved slave labor, but uh, it it came down to the fact that people had a serious grievance with their government, and the mm-hmm. government didn't listen, so they did what they thought was right and. Uh, petitioned and and uh, advocated against a certain law, which yeah. is what people do, right? Yeah, especially yeah. in this country. Um, but another serious issue comes up in the Jackson administration, and that would be the banking crisis. Right. So, I mean, this was never a good big, one. No, and this was a big one that really needed to, that required a lot of Jackson's attention, and it was a national bank. That's so. Right. Back way back when in 1816, we chartered the second national bank, uh, the second bank of the United States, and it had a 20 year charter before it needed like the term was 20 years before the need to be like reviewed and renewed, right? And we talked about this a couple episodes ago. And if you remember, this absolutely grinds Mr. Leesman's gear, uh, gears rather more yeah. than just one, it's uh, two buildings. right? They're, they're so unnecessary, anyway. The, the bank was a depository for federal funds. Uh, basically, what we mean by that is that's where the federal funds would go and yeah. where the national debt uh, was paid out of. So due it, to the fact that it was, it was a, a nation yeah, bank, it was a, it was a private corporation that the U.S. government owned stock in. Uh, it only had to answer to the directors and stockholders, not the voting public. Right. So this was yeah, so seen it, as controversial to a few people, especially Jackson. 
Andrew Jackson, the president of the United States. So right, and because he was someone that didn't trust the bank, because when he was a businessman before, uh, after the war, before he became a politician, and, you know, I guess he was a businessman, and he apparently got hurt pretty bad by them. So he, not only was he was just not yeah, a fan of the bank. Yeah, he just hated the bank. He questioned the constitutionality, which is nothing new. He just relied on the old argument that there's nothing in the constitution that says yeah, I mean the bank. And this goes all the way back to Hamilton and Jefferson. Right. And so he also questioned the soundness uh, and strength of paper money rather than silver and gold. Because you right. kind of had like uh, both at this point, but like, you know, the bank was really trying to push the paper money. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he questioned it. And yeah. so you had someone like the president of the bank uh, was a man named Nicholas Biddle. And he had several supporters in Congress, two of the most famous ones, Henry Clay and Daniel Webster. Yeah. Back at it again. Um, and so Daniel Webster and Henry Clay introduced legislation that would recharter the bank, even though the fact that it wouldn't expire for another four years, because I'm sure they, knew uh, it. yeah, right. So, uh, and eventually this whole idea of like, instead of paper money, we're using, um, uh, what's it called? Like coins, mm -hmm. uh, this, it becomes actually pretty popular and we'll, we'll talk about this later when we talk about the populist movement and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, with people supporting silver, uh, and gold bimetallism, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, especially the cross of gold with uh, William Jennings Bryan, but we'll, we'll talk more we'll about that later, that. but that, that issue is not over in itself. No, not even a little bit. A lot um, of, uh, a lot of like uh, poorer people supported the use of silver. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm but, sure whatever. it was just more readily uh, was, available to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, obviously gold is, uh, to my knowledge, more uh, difficult to obtain. So that's what mm -hmm. makes it. More yeah. And so, it was once this bill to reach out of the bank came about that um, Jackson's hatred became an obsession and he was just straight veto the, the, the charter movement. Yeah. He was just like, no. Right. And so not he want, yeah, not only did he say no, he took it to the next level and he would order the feds deposits in the bank to be moved from BOTUS or the bank of the United States, which I just, I love when it's like BOTUS, POTUS V POTUS, FLOTUS, SCOTUS. So I just made up BOTUS <laughs> bank of the United States. He decided that he was going to take the money from the bank of the United States and put it in these smaller pet banks or the state run banks. Also very important to know that. So basically yes. he's physically moving money american right. dollars into smaller banks yeah and he just like because he kind of forced its hand because he was just like ah you can't be a bank if you don't have money like and like i mean technically he's right he's right well, he's, he's, i'm not saying he's wrong but that was like his right imagine going to td like, bank just being like all right yeah, i need to take 40 bucks out to get gas and they're just like nope and you're like what do you, what do you mean no? <laughs> yeah what do, you, what do you mean nope we don't have it uh, so, <laughs> right um and so we'll i mean we'll see that happen in the right? yeah. go back and listen go and listen to the great depression episode we talked about that uh, that um, literally happens like hey i need to take my money out and they're like yeah i bet you do <laughs> we're closed yeah. and so right. and so like we're going out of business wait banks can go to business right so he basically takes the money out of the bank and then just like puts it elsewhere so like the bank can't run like he forces right. nicholas biddle's hand Right. Uh, all while this is going on, Jackson is up for re-election. Henry Clay goes and fights him, but Jackson mm -hmm. wins by an even larger margin than before. That's 219 electoral votes to Clay's 49. Oof. 
And it's, yeah. So, and Biddle isn't going to take any of this lying down because he's basically being, his job is being canceled. Like Jackson's moving money around and Biddle's like, Hey, no. So he decided to make it difficult for businesses to get the money that they needed. And basically he like just straight out created a financial panic. Like uh, a, um, he basically threw the economy purposely into a recession to like screw with uh, Jackson. Like he basically was like, Hey Jackson, try and make money now. Ha ha. And then like, hey, hey, hey. threw the nation into it. He threw the nation into a quick recession, uh, hoping to break Jackson. Cause it's kind of like, you know, you can't get reelected. You can't like work. It, you know, when people are calling for your head because they lost their job, like it's hard to get other things done. Yeah. Cause I mean the first, it, again, doesn't matter who it is. The first person you're going to blame is the president. Doesn't matter right. who did it. And so essentially essentially what happens is it didn't work and then the bank shut down. Right. And Jackson one, Biddle still zero. Oh so, yeah. So uh, the thing that's the craziest about this is the entire time Jackson uh, championed himself as the guy of a common person. He's going to do what's best for everyone else. Meanwhile, America is essentially on fire politically and economically. And he's just like, this is for your best interest. Yeah. And everyone's just like, but I can't eat. <laughs> yeah. Like, Shut up. <laughs> There's so many other banks. Like, <laughs> Go chew on a stick. You know, like, yeah. It's just yeah it, like, it, okay it, go dig with a stick like it's just like go do something else i had um, to go eat grubs back in the day when i was growing up in tennessee and you're just like All right, okay um, hey i just want to have a farm like maybe right. I have a business yeah right. own a saloon. No. yeah yeah uh well anyway again not over you have no, jackson no, 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 no. pinning up against clay and now john c calhoun gets thrown in for oh. some razzle dazzle who is that that was I, his VP. That was his vice president. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is like an ugly I, battle. early American politics, man. I'm telling you, Taylor Swift so get a song going. Right. Yeah. I mean, she just had that album come out, uh, and not a single, that, but... and not a single song about early American politics. You know, she's got songs about breakup. It was, it was like a very ballad-heavy album, uh, and not a single song about the era of good feelings. Wow, I'm Taylor Swift. Boys are bad. Man. To write about something apparently important. apparently apparently it's a fantastic like the spoil album. system yeah, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. Is write about right now. write about manifest destiny yeah come on that's that's where real people's passion lies anyway right. uh clay was uh, we talked about this he's known in congress henry clay is known as the great compromiser uh he was known for pushing his plans called the american system through Congress. And just really quick on what that is, because it's very important. Uh, this plan would provide protective tariffs that aim to grow the American industry. It would be extensive internal improvements like roads and a bank of the United States. Right. Uh, Jackson just did what he did. And he just straight, he called the, the plan itself just completely unconstitutional. He, he questioned whether or not federal funds could be used to build roads, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting to me. You'd think that, you know, You'd want roads, but whatever. You know, right. again, he's probably like, I had to walk on dirt roads. You can do yeah, it too. And, and, and it's just like, hey, we're not arguing that. We just need like actual like carved out little paths for people right. to go on. And he's like, enough. Yeah. And you're like, oh. right. Just use the back roads. It's like, there yeah. are none. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> we, that's what we want to make. <laughs> it's like, right. We want to have back roads and just like, uh, just wade through the weeds. Right. So the American system is rather important. You know, mm-hmm. internal improvements, building industry, stuff like that. We'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about that. Uh, probably, well, not, maybe not more about it, but we'll, I'll mention it 
or we'll mention it in the next episode a little bit. But uh, anyway, Clay and Jackson's hatred for each other would grow with every vetoed issue. Every right, vetoed and issue. Um, <sighs> and so there was even distrust and animosity between Jackson and, and Calhoun, his VP. And it's not even just over the idea of nullification. Um, it all started, I mean, this their hatred and animosity and their general distrust of each other started because, so Calhoun's wife and the wives of other cabinet officials began, like they were like a little group. They were their own little clique within Washington. They held a lot of social events. They had a lot of parties. They had a little like, tea time and stuff like that. And so they actually were shunning and like excluding. So the they wife. played. They played a good old fun game of shun the wife of Secretary of War. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. So they completely ignored her. They didn't trust her, and they felt that she was that Mrs. Eaton, who was the Secretary of War's wife, was below them socially, and that they treated her very rudely. Jackson sided with the Eatons because of how Rachel Jackson was treated and basically like murdered uh, because of stress. And so like the, tr- like all that animosity, Common socially, like basically, yeah, all the animosity between the Jacksons and the Eatons and then like the Calhouns and everybody else, like transferring to the political realm because uh, Calhoun was a staunch believer in state rights and a key member of that nullification crisis that we talked about. Whereas Jackson was like, we need to keep the union together. And then it would just often leave Calhoun out to dry. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, Calhoun resigns from the vice presidency and becomes a senator uh, where he could do more for the nullification movement. Uh, because, yeah. And he is going to become a quite popular person coming uh, forward in the next couple of episodes. Famous, but, infamous, depending on what side of the Mason-Dixon line you live on. That's a good point. Yeah. Very similar to how uh, if you're in Mexico, you ask who started the Mexican-American war, they'll say America. Or if you're in America, they'll say the Mexicans. You know, So yeah. it, it really – Depends on where you are, right? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, and so probably let's, let's go for the worst thing that Jackson did. Yeah, that about would be. some bad stuff so far. Yeah, but this one's like an ethical. Uh, oh, one, yeah. This is like. People, yeah. people would say even genocidal uh, event. Easily genocidal. In, I mean, I agree with it. If you don't like War that, crime. then get over it. Yeah, but like I, I agree this was absolutely a terrible thing. Uh, Anywho, so, if there there's one group that jo- that Jackson could have couldn't have treated worse, it would be the Native Americans. That's right. So we're going to talk about the Trail of Tears. Um, so you have to remember there are there are many tribes that are indigenous to the Americas. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about specifically the Cherokees and how they were impacted by this. Um, eventually, this this goes on to impact many other uh, uh, Native American nations. But mm-hmm. uh, we're going to start. Uh, most significantly with the the Cherokee. So let's, let's, like you said, I can't think of a worse president for dealing with Native Americans than Andrew Jackson. Right. So in his presidency and his time as general, he was a big fan of taking tribes uh, of Native Americans and moving them off their land. Yeah. Just Um, like not giving them an option. Right. And so he moved them further West. He was able to make more room for people to buy and sell the land and eventually just use it for cotton. Probably the thing that agriculture. Right. Yeah. Well, that was the main argument. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and obviously that that's what they argued, but another mm. major uh, flame to that argument, it was definitely like racism, but, mm-hmm. um, but probably most um, famously Andrew Jackson, in 1830 signed something called the Indian removal act. And yeah. what this did was it gave the federal government the power to exchange land in the South for native tribes uh, that native tribes lived on uh, in exchange for the land that is currently in Oklahoma. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. Um, the law required government to no- negotiate removal treat- treaties fairly. 
um, and fairly, voluntarily, peacefully. Um, it did not give the power to move the nations. Like it did no. not give them the the power to move them. Jackson, it had to be a full blown agreement. Uh huh. It had to be signed by both parties. But Jackson, Jackson, in his true fashion, just completely ignored the law and forced Native Americans to vacate the lands that they live on. Right, and in fact. After a lot of these things with Andrew Jackson being told he can't do something and then he does it anyway, uh, he's, he garners the nickname of King Andrew Yes, uh, because he starts acting sort of like a tyrant. Right. He's, he's just blatantly ignoring the Constitution. A lot of the political cartoons that you're going to see on tests or you're going to see on regions or you're going to see um, on any type of like maybe DBQ or like, you know, whatever questions. Um, you're and gonna if you're a teacher listening, like a- this is a good do now. Right, it's it's you a cartoon, image. and it's like you can literally. I think it's like it looks it. like a it looks like a a card from a playing deck, and it's like you know it's a picture of Andrew Jackson dressed as a king, um, and it, you could just start off with by saying you know like this is Andrew Jackson. Does this right. seem like a good way to depict the president of the United States? And yeah, hopefully, and everyone's like, side, no. <laughs> it says like, born to command. Had I been consulted, um, and then it's like. Uh, of veto memory and says King Andrew the first. Right. Uh, great image to use during, especially if you're talking about uh, yeah. this stuff. Um, but anyway, like you said, Jackson in common fashion ignores the law and forced native Americans to vacate the lands they had lived on. And in 1831, under the threat of invasion by the U S army, the Choctaws became the first nation to be expelled from its land altogether. Completely. Yeah. And they made the journey to the Indian territory, which is modern day Oklahoma. Um, yeah, again, if you don't have a map, okay, but like you should understand that Georgia and the southern United States, that area, very far from mm-hmm. Oklahoma. So this is quite mm-hmm. the this is quite the walk. Uh, and they had the movement, they had to do this all without any provided food, supplies, any help from the government. Uh, thousands of people died. Not exaggerating. So and like literally you, I mean, obviously there's no like real footage of it, but you can watch like dramatizations of it. But, you know, people like women, children, men, grandparents, babies, you know, they died and they were, they were essentially just thrown off the path yeah. left to die or just straight die from the cold of night or, you know, they had to tread through some swampy waters and stuff like that. Um, unmarked graves, things like that, you know, like entire cultures, civilizations were destroyed as a result of this. Yeah. Uh, it, and it was, like I said, it was the winter. So uh, right. they had to move against their will with nothing more than clothes on their back. So they right. had a very on foot. Yeah, they had no help or supplies or any food. So, I mean, like, listen, they had a very ch- slim chance of survival. Right. Uh, Jackson did not stop here. Oh, and in 1830, so that was back in 1831. And in 1836, federal government pushed for Creek natives uh, or pushed the Creek natives uh, from their lands. And 3,500 of them died on the way to Oklahoma. Yeah. And so the Cherokee actually had other plans. So they, some of them were like, fine, we'll go. But some of them were like, no, this is our land. Like, you can't tell us to do this. So they took the federal government to court and fought the decision. Uh, And in two court cases, you have Cherokee Nation versus Georgia and Worcester versus Georgia, which is probably the one that everyone's going to know or or that you're going to learn more in class. And so the Supreme Court run by John Marshall, which you should be familiar with that name. We've mentioned him quite a few times. um, Said that the U.S. had no legal claims to the Cherokee land. Right. And at that point, you have to remember, like, um, judicial review, you know, the, the United States Supreme Court states, 
we cannot force these people from their land. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Mm -hmm. Technically, that is that's that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jackson goes on, who is furious at the news, and he says, "Mr. Marshall has made his decision. Now let him enforce it." Yeah, and that was a crack at the fact that, like, out of the three branches of government, the executive branch is the one that carries out the laws and carries. And that's Andrew Jackson. And they're the enforcers. Um, And the Supreme Court can make the decisions, but they really don't have the power to enforce them. Yeah, they need the full blown cooperation of the president. Right. They need. They need the executive branch to be like, all right. I mean, like, I don't like it, but we'll do it. Um, Jackson, on the other hand, just completely ignored it and pushed more natives off their land. Um, the Cherokee peoples had to sign a treaty that said they would be paid $5 million for their land and approximately 18 to 20,000 Cherokee were forced off their land at gunpoint and about a quarter of them died along the way. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, you you haven't, so again, we, we had mentioned this, that Andrew Jackson came to power saying that he was the, the common man he was going to speak for the the, the unheard and all that mm-hmm. like superhero nonsense and he he does basically the exact opposite he causes quite the scuffle in congress and within his own uh, uh his cabinets he's not listening to federal law completely ignoring other branches of government mm-hmm. fighting with his own vice president you know like it's this is why that image of king andrew comes about right um, so this is by far the darkest and most regrettable piece of Jackson's administration. Yeah. Um, but, you know. I, I, you know. I feel like today's legacy, and so I was doing some reading on it, and apparently that legacy of his mistreatment of Native Americans really, like, cemented in, like, the 1960s. Like, it was until, like, recently that that really, like, really came out. And sure. not that people didn't know about it, but it became, like, what we now remember him for. Well, it probably it has a lot to do with like the anti-war movements and like mm-hmm. the let's treat people fairly movements, the civil yeah. rights movements. You know, like like it, it's probably what came about at this time. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure like at that point also like people started doing more research. Yeah, on founding sure. and on old president stuff like that, and so like it, it really comes down to it that he's like one of the most controversial figures in your history. My favorite thing to do with Andrew Jackson is um, make a not a full blown but like a, a quasi debate. So like have the class yeah. pick a stance and duke it out. Like when I when I teach like regular regents level or general ed um, mm-hmm. uh, U.S. history, we have like a little um conversation about it we we argue it we, we put it to a vote like as if we're congress to determine if we should impeach andrew jackson or not and like that yeah. kind of stuff but when when i taught uh, ap u.s history we did like a couple days worth of like a debate on it and it's, mm-hmm. it's actually pretty cool uh, so I, again when you have these like controversial figures in u.s history it's it's cool even if you know that they're blatantly right or blatantly blatantly wrong it, it's interesting to see what the kids will say yeah. So, you know, that's something interesting to do there. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk, let's just sum it up, I guess. So by far, right. Andrew Jackson is one of the most controversial figures, not just presidents, but figures in U.S. history. Yeah, I mean, just the treatment of Native Americans alone make him uh, like a very much distrusted and not and kind of hated president. Um, anyone that does like him and does admire him, see him as like that man's man, that like tough guy, that tough, rugged war hero uh, that was a big fan of dueling and carried those bolts that we talked about. Um, he's yeah, like also, yeah, like hair on his chest kind of guy. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Um, he's also known as someone that fought that political elite uh, in favor of the common man. And in what I consider to be a wild move uh, is he sits on the $20 banknote. 
So, like, any $20 bill you have, you see Andrew Jackson. This is insanely ironic. Why is that, Mr. Leisman? And it's because he made it his mission to destroy the bank. And like who, he hated and banks. Who, right, and that's where that money's going, right? So yeah. how did the U.S. repays him by putting him on a bank note. Right. Um, and so on the tail end of Obama's presidency, we actually um, – it was brought out that we are going to take him off and put Harriet Tubman on. But uh, under Trump's presidency, it's kind of gone nowhere. Yeah, it, right. It, it kind of just like died out a little yeah. bit. I mean there are people that still advocate for it for sure, but you yeah, know, yeah, that's – but it's, it was just kind of one of those things like we we're gonna fake we're gonna focus on other things, right? Um, uh, here's the wild, yeah. and this is this is something that you told me about, Mr. Leesman. Right. Um, with all of this mistreatment of Native Americans, Jackson himself had adopted two Native American children. Yeah, and he's by far the worst for Native American relations, which right. I so think is wild. Just very ironic things within he the does. life and death of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Uh, but by the time of his death, Jackson had approximately or owned approximately 150 <laughs> slaves mm-hmm. that had worked on his plant on his plantation. Um, so uh, again, adding him adding more things uh, under on yeah under his controversial legacy, he mm-hmm. had he caused quite the hubbub in government. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created a uh, essentially well the heating created but it resulted in financial crises crises political crises uh you know all that kind of stuff then you have all of the things with native americans he owned slaves you know so especially especially you know this is why a lot of people will call for him to be removed from the 20 dollars bill yeah um and something i kind of want to wrap this up with is that literally this year um the Supreme Court actually ruled. So, like, the fact that Andrew Jackson moved everybody to the, um, the plantation, like, the, the Indian Territory, um, Supreme Court ruled, actually, it was this month, um, July. Yeah, I feel like July has been the longest month ever, but yes, exactly. Yeah. So, they, they ruled that half the land in Oklahoma is within a Native American reservation. So, basically, that Indian Territory that we had talked about, where we moved all the Native Americans to, we kind of, like, still screwed them over later on but like in 2020 the supreme court ruled that half of the land like large chunks of oklahoma, south dakota right oklahoma. i thought uh, it was south think, dakota too no no i don't think so no. not not that i'm aware of. i could be completely wrong i think it's mm. just oklahoma and that it's like wham bam it's a native american reservation so go look into yeah. that there's yeah the court cases that i think it was like sharp versus murphy but the big one is the big one that like helped decide it is called mcgirt versus oklahoma mcgirt versus oklahoma right um, um yeah so i mean oh yeah you're right about yeah like about literally half of oklahoma is actually native land right. so says, we'll see uh, how that so happens. i'm reading an article from npr and it says a case before the court mcgirt versus oklahoma concerned jim c mcgirt an enrolled member of the seminal nation of oklahoma who was convicted of a sex crimes case against a child on creek land in post-conviction proceedings mcgirt argued that the state lacked jurisdiction in the case and that he must be retried in federal court the high court agreed the ruling will affect the lands of the muskegee and four other oklahoma tribes with identical treaties civil court issues are also affected um it's important that the case I mean, it's a huge that the case, case concerned jurisdiction, not land ownership. Uh, ruling that these lands are in fact reservations doesn't mean the tribe owns all the land within the reservations, just like the county doesn't own all the land within the county. In fact, it probably doesn't very own very much of the land. Washburn explained it's not what a reservation is these days. It basically compares a reservation to a county uh, in terms of described jurisdictional boundaries. Yeah. 
but still, it's pretty wild. I mean, I mean, it's it's a big yeah. win for Native American relations. Uh, yeah, for yeah, for sure. So, um, but you know, that's that's about it. We like we said, we talked about um, we talked about the controversial life and political life of uh, Andrew Jackson. Andy Jackson. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for listening, and yeah. uh, we'll uh, catch you on the flippity flop. All right. Latest on the menu. Blaming all of my roots I showed up in boots And ruined your blind tie affair The last one to know The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise And the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne I toasted you, said, honey, we may be thrilled, but you'll never hear me complain. Cause I got friends in long places where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. Slip on down to the oasis So I've got a friend in low places You too.